Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. Does anybody else just have a sense that 2020 is going to be a good year? Oh, it's going to be, it is going to be a good year. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, James chapter 2, that's where we're going to be tonight. James 2, we are, we are walking through the book of James. If uh, you were not here last week, we set the context a little bit. The author of this letter is the half-brother of Jesus. Um, so he knows a thing or two. He was a leader of the, the leader of the Jerusalem church, the first church, actually, that we see uh, begin to play out in the book of Acts. And James is on a vendetta to talk to the Jewish people about faith. Everyone say faith. Now this is a really significant thing because you're going to see here tonight, though this passage gets twisted and misinterpreted so many times, that what, what James is going after is for people to see that to have faith means that you are fully forgiven. Everyone say fully forgiven. You're fully forgiven. He's also saying that you are deeply loved. Everyone say deeply loved. And I love this last one. He's, he's going after the, the fact that you're, you're even affectionately liked by God. I want you to hear that tonight. To have faith in Jesus means that you are fully forgiven, you are deeply loved, and you are affectionately liked by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And hear me tonight. I'm not talking about the future better version of you. I'm talking the broken and perfect, tired you, maybe even the addicted you, the hurting you that's in this place tonight. That's that's the product, that's the solution of faith. And the reason why I want to say that and set that before you this evening first is because when we're going to read this passage, you're going to feel a whole bunch of, of emotions and things begin to swell. If you, were, if you were raised in the church and you've, you've heard a lot of different theology in the church, you're going you're gonna to feel some things begin to rise in you tonight. And I want to put you at peace right out the gate that we have to remember what our faith does for us before the Father. Tonight's not behavior modification. Tonight's not the you live your best self type of message. Are you with me tonight? You with me tonight? All right, before we pray, let's go ahead and center our souls. Heavenly Father, we love you. Oh, God, we love you. We thank you that your presence is so welcome in this house this evening. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to your word. Would you show us what James is saying? Lord, I pray that no scheme or attack of the enemy would prosper this evening. And I pray that it would be said of every man and every woman in this room that as we walk out of these doors tonight, our faith is more genuine. It's more sincere. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us minds to understand? And would you give us hearts to believe. And if you're with me tonight, say amen. Amen. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. This is what James is saying. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith 
but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Everyone say useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Can you feel the legalism beginning to rise in your soul? Can you feel yourself starting to ask the question, okay, what must I start doing? What must I start accomplishing? You know, when I was a kid, junior high and high school, I heard, I heard youth pastors say this statement all the time. Do you, don't you want to do something for God? Don't you want to do something for God? Don't you want to do something for the kingdom? Don't you, don't you want to work for God? Don't you want to accomplish all of these things? Like we hear this passage and it's like, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Like what, what? Do I need to start a prayer meeting in my school? Do I need to be reading my Bible every day? Do I need to be memorizing scripture? Should I be coming to church weekly? Do I, what addictions do I need to let go of? What TV shows should I stop watching? What friendships should I go ahead and break off? Like what do I need to do? You might like swing to that end of the pendulum because that's how you were raised. But there's another group in here that, that kind of when they hear this passage, it kind of gets like this, uh, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. Like, like Christianity is, is all good, Pastor, until we get to stuff like this. Because like when I look at this, when I look at the church, all I see is a bunch of hypocrites. I see a bunch of people preaching works and saying you need to get to work and you need to grow in your relationship with God and you need to be doing more things for the kingdom. But they themselves aren't doing squat. Right? And then you might start going like if you're a critical thinker on logic and you're going, wait a minute, I'm hearing contradicting message in scripture. Did, isn't it the apostle Paul in the book of Galatians that said, wait a minute, like, like our salvation is by grace and through grace alone, not by works. Well, if that's the case, like the Bible's contradicting itself. So it can't be the authoritative word of God. 
And predominantly when we start talking about like the Christian religion, we find people who feel really confident in their faith because they are, quote, doing a lot of things for God. And I love it. And it's these type of people that everybody else just can't stand. You just want to slap them in the face. Because it's like every time you're with them, it's like all you are here to do is remind me how pathetic I am in my faith, right? But then you have the other end of the pendulum where it's like you got people who are going, no, 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 like, like, like just, just walk with Jesus. It's all about grace, man. I don't know why they sound like a hippie, but that's what it just feels like. Like it's about grace, man. Like don't you know? It's like, like just don't worry about what you do because like God forgave that. And you, like you don't need to worry about that. And it's like, wait a minute. James is getting at something deeper here. And I want you to see it. I want you to see it. He is not saying, hear me, he is not saying that your faith needs to be added to with your works. Are you with me tonight? He is not saying this evening that you need to go to, quote, work for God in order for you to have faith. You know what that message does? That message completely disregards, discounts, and neglects the cross of Christ. Hear me tonight. The message that you need works to add to your faith discounts, disregards, and neglects the cross of Christ. If that were true, every message I have preached to you in the past year is omitted. Means nothing. But that's not what James is saying. He's not saying that you must add works to your faith in order for you to have faith. That's what you're hearing here. You're missing it. What are you saying is here, here is that your faith must be characterized by your works. Let me say it more simply. If you're following Jesus, you should be bearing fruit. And if you are not bearing fruit, there is a question at hand as to which your faith is really alive or not. Are you with me this evening? If you are following Jesus, you should be bearing fruit. Well, what's fruit, pastor? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, temperance, self-control. You should be bearing fruit. And hear me. This is a process that takes place in your life over time. I want to put all of my achievers at ease this evening. This isn't about in one night, all of a sudden your life has been completely changed. And all, like, it's like overnight you changed all your habits. You broke all your addictions. You cut off all your unhealthy relationships. No, no, no. It's a sanctifying process over time. If you're following Jesus, you will bear fruit. And if you are not bearing fruit, what James is suggesting here is that your faith is most likely not alive. It's not active faith. And real faith is always active. It's always in motion. It's always moving. We're watching God do incredible things in and through us. We are not accomplishing squat. Did you hear me? Everything that was done that was good in your life was not produced cultivated or accomplished by you. It was done in and through Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago on a cross. 
And some of you need to balance that out tonight. You know why? Because you love, quote, doing things for God. It makes you feel awesome. And a day's coming, and hopefully it's tonight, where your eyes are going to see you're really not that awesome. You're not. None of us are. But that's the beauty of the gospel. It's not about what you have done, what you are doing, or what you will do. But completely about what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. Are you with me tonight? So this is what I want to do. I want to talk about three things that I think James is saying about faith without works. But before I go there, I want to define two terms for you. I want to define what faith is, and I want to define what trust is. Now, we can get really theological here, and I could start breaking down a lot of different biblical concepts for you. But for the sake of us tonight, and because I think simply, simple is better, we're just going to keep it at this. Faith is this. It trusts God and obeys God. If you've got notes, I want you to write this down. Faith is this. It trusts God and it obeys God. I'm going to talk about what that means in just a minute. But as we begin to, to break apart this passage, I want you to understand this premise. That faith completely trusts God and faith obeys God. The second term that I want to define is works. And works is really simple. It's a life that loves God and loves people. That's simple. Not memorizing the whole book of Romans. Not starting a prayer meeting on your school every week. Not making it to church 57 times a year. Though that would be awesome. Loving God and loving others. Are you with me tonight? Loving God and loving others. Three things that James is going to tackle throughout these 12 verses about faith without works. Everyone say faith without works. Faith without works is important. If you got notes, I want you to follow me here and follow me closely. Faith without works. The first thing is that faith without works is worthless. Everyone say worthless. Starting in verse 14, it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Everyone say, what good is that? What good is that? This is what James is saying. He goes, look. If you're saying that you follow Jesus, that you trust God and you obey God and somebody walks into your midst who does not have drawers on and they are hungry and you say, yo, go put some pants on and go grab a bite to eat somewhere. What good is it for either party, for the one who holds the faith and has the ability to bless and the one who is in desperate need of a blessing, what good is this type of faith? If you're going to say you follow Jesus, that Lord of your life is Jesus, that you walk with Jesus day by day and you're going to see someone who needs clothing and who needs food and you're going to go, hey, you should probably get a bite to eat. Put a jacket on, it's cold outside. But don't do anything. What good is that? It's worthless. In other words, it holds no value. It's not faith. It's not biblical faith. It's not godly faith. It's not even like moral faith. 
It's patronizing faith. Go, be warmed and be filled. No, no, no. Faith. Faith produces a love for God and a love for others. We see Jesus echo this message in the book of Matthew. When he's saying at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's going to be a day where many are going to come to me and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, like, like, did we not perform many signs and wonders in your name? And, and do we not cast out demons in your name? And did we not do all this work for God, for you in our lifetime? And he's going to look at him and he's going to say, you never took care of me. When one was naked and needing clothes, you never took the shirt off your back and gave it to him. When one was hungry and needed food, you never took care of them. And brothers and sisters, I want you to look at me right now. Because Jesus is going after the very heart of generosity. And as an American young man and young woman, you have the means to be this people. You have the means to be a solution to brokenness in this world with how much you are given. How much you are blessed with. And where we get off here is we have this idea that the blessing we have, that, that we have been given in this country is for the sake of ourselves. And we are gravely mismistaken. No, gravely mistaken. <laughs> gravely mistaken. Like we've, we've missed it. That to, to take on the mentality that what you have is for the sake of yourself, hear me, is a faith that is worthless. He's going after the heart of generosity saying, no, 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 no. I have blessed you for the sole purpose of you being a conduit of blessing to others. If somebody comes to you hungry, feed them. And when you feed them, you're feeding me. If somebody comes to you cold and in need of clothing, clothe them. And when you do so, you're clothing me. You know what makes this really hard? Is we have people we don't like. Right? How many of you don't like people in here? Don't leave me hanging, leaving the pads. I'll put two hands up. Ooh, there are people that I can't stand. They just, they push my buttons. Like it makes, it just makes me mad being in their very presence. I'm like, ugh. Leave my state. <laughs> leave my gym. <laughs> like, ugh. Like we have, we have people we don't like. And this is a reality for like almost all human beings, unless you're like Bob Goff or something, right? Like, like they're, they're just like people you don't, and, and people that rub us the wrong way. And I, and I want to suggest to you tonight that the way you begin to care and love for the people that you don't like, hear me, is by falling more in love with Jesus. Falling more in love with Jesus. And I, and I want to say this tonight to you as high school students for a very specific reason. Like I, I think there's like a low-grade arrogance and ego in our pride as Americans that this passage is confronting. Hear me tonight. Like who you are as a follower of Jesus, will always trump any other identity you ever hold. You are a follower of Jesus before you are a son or daughter. You're a follower of Jesus before you're a high school student. 
you're a son or you're, you're a follower of Jesus before whatever career path you choose. Look at me. You're a follower of Jesus before you're an American. And I'm saying this to you here and now. That if you get these two things twisted or if you take these two things and make them synonymous. That to be an American is to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus is to be an American. You're gravely mistaken. You're arrogant. You're prideful. And God loves you enough to break that in you. You know why I say this to you tonight? You're like, we're high school students. Why are you talking to us about like politics and patriotism? You know why? Because you're the future leaders of our country. You're the future leaders of the church. And if you are watching your parents' generation be pathetic at this, don't be. Be ambassadors of hope and of unity and of love for one another. Not of division. Like this isn't about like what party you're going to identify with. What level of patriotism you have in your soul. And hear me tonight. I love America. Like I'm not an anarchist. Okay. Like my father's Vietnamese. But like I'm not an anarchist. Okay. Like I love it. And, and I'll go as far as today. As far as like human systems go. I think America has one of the best on the planet. And I'm grateful for it. I have been blessed by it. And I would be foolish to not be blessed by it. But when it comes down to, to, to saying who I am for my country and who I am before the King of kings and Lord of lords, it's an easy day for me all day. I follow Jesus. So when it comes to the immigrant, I follow Jesus. The immigrant needs some, some food in their belly and a, and a jacket on their back. I follow Jesus. You hear me tonight? You're the future leaders of this country. Be ambassadors of hope. Be ambassadors of unity, not division. Are you with me this evening? You are called to love God and love people. And to have a faith that is alive and well and not worthless means you love the people you don't like. And you love the people you don't like by follow, falling more in love with Jesus. More in love with Jesus. You are the hands and feet of him to this world. Theologian Robert Jensen said that the church is Christ's availability to the world. It is this place, it is your life that is, that is walking on, 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 on display before the broken. And they're going, God, where are you? I need you. I need your help. And it is through you he is saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm here. What do you need? That's who you're called to be. A faith that is, is alive, it's a faith that works. But a faith without it is worthless. Everyone say worthless. Number two, faith without works cannot save. This is a big one. Starting in verse 17, it says this. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed 
by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that, that, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed. Everyone said Abraham believed. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. This is what James is saying here. Think of an illustration to, to put this. Um, I don't want to be a savage to my wife, but for the sake of this illustration, I will. So I love you no matter what. Just know that, okay? Y'all, if I don't come back next week, she hid the body somewhere, okay? When, all right, here's the deal. When you hop into the car with people who do not know how to drive in snow, I love you, sweetheart. I love you. 2020 is going to be a good year. We're going to conquer this fear. Okay. When you, hop, when, you hop into, when you hop into a car with somebody who does not know how to drive in snow, to say that, that life gets terrifying and anxious would be an understatement. Okay. Understatement. All right. My wife is not the most confident person in driving in the snow. Now, given many of you in here aren't either, so don't be quick to judge her. Okay. But here's the thing, like, like when, when, when that's the case, it's like, it, it's an anxious thing. Now, here, now here's the deal. When, when someone says, okay, look, a blizzard's taking place outside right now. Tim, go hop in the passenger seat of your car and let your wife drive you home. How would I show faith to my wife, in my wife? I'd hop in the car and let her drive me home. Now, odds are... I probably wouldn't let that happen. I said, no, I love you enough. Get in the passenger seat. <laughs> I'm going to drive, okay. Maybe make it a little more simple. If you have a chair that you've sat in several times and that chair broke every time you sat in it, okay. And someone says, do you have faith in this chair? And you say yes. The natural following question would be, well, show me. Sit in the chair, okay. This is what James is saying. He's saying, oh, you're saying you have faith. Show me. Sit in the chair. Oh, you, you, you're saying you have faith. Show me. Feed the poor. Oh, you have faith. Show me. And predominantly the response you get from people is like, no, I just want to stand. My legs are cramping. You're like, yeah, yeah, but you, but you say you have faith, show me. I, well, I was actually in a conversation and, and, and talking with somebody about like their faith and about Jesus and like theology and the Ten Commandments. And you're like, okay, that's great. Let's sit in the chair. It's like, no. And hear me tonight, this is predominantly most of the Christian church today. James is saying, look, if, if you're going to say you trust Jesus... Show me that you trust Jesus. Show me that you follow Jesus. Show me that you're willing to sit in the chair. This is not so easy, is it, when it gets put to the test. And here's what we have today. We have a lot of people who say they have faith, saving faith, because they know a lot about God. 
but they do not know God himself. Are you with me tonight? And this very well could probably be 60 of the people in this room. You know a lot about God. You could sit here and tell me that how many books of the Bible there are. You could sit here and quote to me 37 passages of scripture. You could sit here and tell me like all of church history. You could sit here and tell me like the whole narrative of scripture. You like know all of this stuff and yet you don't know God. And what Paul is saying, or what James is saying is he's going, that's great. The demons know that. You want to hear a newsflash tonight? Like the demons have a better theology than you and me. They know about God so much better than we do. They know it. They know it. But knowing it isn't what makes you have a saving faith. <laughs> knowing it isn't what makes you have a saving faith. An intellectual assent into sound doctrine is not salvation. Knowing everything about this book and knowing everything in this book does not make you a follower of Jesus. And Jesus can smell it like that. Faith without works cannot save. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to follow Jesus, it will be characterized by your fruit. It will be characterized by the way you love God and the way you love others. Are you with me tonight? Faith without works cannot save. Cannot save. Keeps people in bondage and in slavery. Number three. This is a simple one. Faith without works is dead. Everyone say dead. Verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Brothers and sisters, God is inviting you into the best life possible. The sole purpose of faith is meant to bring you into loving God and loving others. If this faith you hold right now does not do that very thing, hear me, it is a lifeless faith, a motionless faith, a suffocating faith, a worthless faith. It's not genuine faith. It's dead. It's dead. And here's the thing. We have a lot of people in the church today that are members of a community of faith. They, they vocally support our faith. They shop at Hobby Lobby and put verses all over their house. They got a coffee cups that say for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord and look at me they don't know God and this is what James is saying he, he's saying it is very possible for you to go to church every week it is very possible for you to do everything right by the book and not know me and if that is the case your faith is dead it's not alive And so now we come to the infamous question that if I was you, I would be asking right now. And that most people when they read this passage begin to ask. Well, I, I don't want a dead faith, God. So pastor, what do I do? What do I do? What do I, go, what, what do I gotta do to, to, to change this thing around, to right the ship? 
Like, like you're saying all of these things, like that, that, that faith without works is, is worthless and faith without works like cannot save and, and faith without works is dead and I don't wanna be dead. I don't wanna have a, I don't wanna have a worthless faith. I don't wanna have a faith that does not save me. Like what do I need to do to right this ship? And this is where the natural human mind's gonna go is what now do you need to accomplish for this not to be the case? How can I show the world that my faith is alive? And I wanna to suggest to you this evening that that is the wrong question to ask. The question is not, God, what now do I do? What now do I do for you? What now, what now am, I, am I supposed to accomplish on behalf? What areas in my life do I need to change? That is the wrong question after reading this passage and you're feeling conviction. You wanna know the right question to ask? Is God, do I truly know you? God, do I truly know you? I know you. God, do I actually have eyes that see you? God, do I actually have ears that hear you? Every time I pray for you, before we enter into the proclamation of God's word, I say these four statements over and over and over again. God, give us ears to hear. God, give us eyes to see. God, give us a mind to understand. God, give us a heart to believe and to trust in you. Those aren't just filler words. Those are asking God for a miracle in this house. You notice that those questions are not asking what you can produce. It's asking for God to give. And this is where I want to bring peace to your soul tonight. Look at me. You don't produce your faith. You don't come up with your faith. You don't create living, active, and genuine faith. Hear me, God gives it, God gives it. And if you do not feel that's what you have in your life, then the answer to that question is simple. Ask the Lord for it. Ask the Lord that by his grace and by the power of his spirit, you would trust God and you would obey God. Ask him that by his spirit that you would love God and you would love others. Only then do we have a living and active and vibrant and flourishing faith. Are you with me this evening? Can you bow your heads? Andrew, I want to invite you up. I want to get real tonight. Real tonight. Real tonight. Because my heart breaks for my city. My heart breaks for my city. My heart breaks for your families. And what breaks my heart is that we have and we are training and we are raising up a bunch of zombies who know so much about God, who are really great at looking at those in need and saying, hey, be warm and be filled and don't do anything. And that needs to change. And it doesn't need to change by us entering into a massive civil rights movement. 
It needs to change by a generation falling more in love with Jesus. It needs to change by young men and young women who have eyes to see, who have ears to hear, who have minds to understand and hearts to believe. And I believe there's two people, two types of people in this house tonight. And I think, I think the first set of you are like Abraham. Abraham. Oh, the father of the faith, born and raised in a Christian home. Knows it from the days of his youth. What's right, what's wrong. How, should, how, how things should be. What's it like to listen to God? What's it like to watch people follow God? And, and you're doing everything right by the book, but you don't know God. And I believe tonight is your night where it's like taking Isaac up on the altar. With your eyes closed. Which, can you imagine this moment? God makes a promise to you. You and your wife are barren for years. And he says, no, no, no. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you one in whom the nations will be blessed. Your descendants will be like that of the sand on the seashore of the stars in the sky. And after years of waiting for this promise, he finally gives it to you. They finally have this precious baby boy, Abraham's son. It's like the delight of his life. And God asks him to do the most dumbfounding thing. He says, I want you to take him up and I want you to sacrifice him on the altar. And though this is, this is asking Abraham to give up the most delicate, the most precious thing in his life, we see a moment of faith in Abraham where he goes, you know what? I know this is going to hurt, but I love God more. I cherish him more. So he takes his boy to the mountain and you got his boy who's not an idiot going, wait, dad, where's the ram? Where's the ram? you got a father telling his son the Lord's going to provide. Oh, and the next verse is so heartbreaking. It says that he bound his son. Can you imagine a father grabbing his little boy, his son realizing what's about to happen, and he binds his hands, he binds his feet. He sets him on the altar. Act of faith going to give up the most precious thing in your life, the thing that gives you the most value. And to some of you in this room, that's your works. That's your righteousness before God. It's your ability to say, hey, I've checked all the boxes. And God's saying tonight, no, no, no. Put it on the altar. Have faith in me. Show me. Show me that you're going to love me and you're going to love others. Show me that you trust me. Obey me. And it's going to cost you tonight. It's going to cost you your life to follow Jesus. Those who've been in the church their whole life, but you're the walking dead. I believe tonight's the night where God's going to make you alive. He's going to give you faith. I think the second group in here tonight it's like Rahab the prostitute. 
hear me, I'm not saying you're a prostitute. But what I'm saying is we have this moment in scripture, this woman has no part and no reason why she's placed in the narrative of our faith. A prostitute in Jericho. And what we know about this woman is a couple things. She's a woman and she's a prostitute. Two things that would make you the bottom of society in this time. No value. She was treated as a commodity, as a good, as a service, with no dignity, no worth. We sit here and go, what business does this, have, does, does this woman have in the story of God? And we see here in James where he's going, no, 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 no. She got a place in God's family because she had faith. She trusted God. She obeyed him. She obeyed him. Some of you in here tonight don't know Jesus at all. You don't know the story of this faith at all. You got no business even being here in a church. The way you lived your life is despicable. And I want you to hear me tonight. You're in good company. You're in good company. God loves to take people who have the worst of stories and use them as a plan for his redemption. He wants to give you faith tonight. He wants to give you faith tonight. So this is what I want to do. Your head's bowed. I just want you to kind of identify which is where you're sitting this evening. And, and this isn't a, hey, now i got to put myself in a camp like I don't know if my faith is alive or not. So I'm going to kind of choose one over the other. No, no, no. Man, if your faith is alive and well and you're feeling vibrant this evening, you don't need to feel like, dear goodness, you got to make a change. That's, just let that stuff go to bay. But what I want to do is I want to invite just the room, if you feel comfortable with it, to get on your knees. Get on your knees if you feel comfortable with it. And there's a reason that I love this posture. It's because this posture is an act of surrender. It's an act of surrender. And the thing is, when we surrender, it's an act of trusting God and obeying God. That's faith. That's alive, vibrant, flourishing faith. So this is what I want you to do. Eyes closed. Your own moment before the Lord right here. I want you to ask yourself the question, God, do I truly know you? God, do I truly know you? Do I truly know you? God, do I know you? God, does my heart beat for the same things that make your heart beat? Does my heart break for the same things that break your heart? God, do I know you? God, can I see you? God, can I hear you? And if you know the answer to that question, and if the answer to that question is no, I want you to ask him right now. Ask him to give you faith. Real, living, active.
vibrant faith. Ask him. Ask those four, four simple little phrases that we pray every week. Ask him, God, give me eyes to see. God, give me ears to hear. God, give me a mind to understand. God, give me a heart to believe. If you're sitting in the Abraham crowd tonight, like, ask him to restore the joy of your salvation. Ask him to make him the supreme treasure of your life. Ask him to make it to where you see him as the most beautiful thing in your life. And hear me tonight, brothers and sisters, that's the only way you are going to have faith in God. It's the only way that you're ever going to trust him. It's the only way that you're going to ever obey him. It's not by what you're going to willpower into. It's going to be by what he gives you. It's going to be the work of the spirit of God in your life. It's no small thing. It's no small thing. Ask him. You've been following Jesus for 18 years. Ask him. God, would you let me see? Let me see you. Would you make me more like you? Would you give me the strength to trust you? Would you give me the strength to obey you? You begin to know when the shift takes place. Because you begin to see the existence of your life for the glory of Christ and not the glory of yourself. I'm telling you. God can change the, tra- the trajectory of a nation with young men and women who have vibrant, living, and active and genuine faith. The nation of Israel is proof. He can change the course of your school. He can change the course of this city. So tonight, we're not going to be a bunch of doers. We're not going to be a bunch of accomplishers. We're not going to be a bunch of achievers. We're going to be simply receivers. Receivers of the gift of faith. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you bring dry bones and would you call dry bones to life tonight? Oh, would you make us alive? Would you make us alive? Shock us awake, Lord. Give us eyes to see. Would these men and women be ambassadors of hope to their parents, to their siblings, because they trust you and they obey you?
they love you. They love others. Lord, I pray that your extended hand of grace, mercy, and kindness would go forth in this generation to the sojourner, to the foreigner, to the broken, to the needy, to the lost, to the prodigal. I pray that it would be through this generation, through these men and these women. Oh, that we see a turning to you in our country. That we see a hunger and desire. Not for our own names to be glorified, but for the name of Jesus to be lifted high. I pray that you would restore a hunger and a thirst for righteousness through this generation. I pray that we would see a tidal wave of the status quo being broken in marriages and families. because of the faith you've given this generation. Would you make us alive tonight? Make us alive. So Lord, we pray again. God, would you give us eyes to see you? Eyes to behold your glory. Eyes to see the broken and the needy. And would you make us to respond? God, would you give us ears to hear you? Oh, your holy voice, your righteous word. That's truth. Would you increase our faith? by our ears being attuned to your voice. God, I pray for minds to understand you. I pray that it would be sound doctrine that comes forth out of this generation. I pray for a pure gospel that points people to Christ and not their works. I pray for a pure gospel that sees Jesus as the supreme treasure that comes forth out of this generation. I pray for abundant wisdom and knowledge in your word for these men and women. And God, I pray for hearts that believe you. Oh, that believe you. That are not afraid to cry out to you that are quick to see that the change that we need is found in you. Hearts that understand that the solution to the brokenness and pain and evil of this world is the person of Jesus Christ. Hearts that trust that you are who you say you are. A good and faithful God whose steadfast love endures forever. I pray for hearts that refuse to forget the faithfulness of their God.
I pray for hearts that remember, remember the stories of old. That remember that you are a God who despite your people's brokenness remains faithful. I pray for hearts that understand and know where to cry out when suffering occurs. I pray for men and women who count it all joy, who count it all joy, because they know that you are making them to see you more beautifully. So God, would you do it? We surrender to you tonight. We surrender to you. Just corporately here together, Andrew. Could we, uh, could we sing "I Exalt Thee"? Could we sing "I Exalt Thee"? Would you stand with me? And here's the thing: a room full of people singing these words doesn't mean a whole lot, but a room filled with faith singing these words oh can accomplish a lot can accomplish a lot it's a beautiful thing so as Pastor Andrew Lisa can you sing this not in your own strength but in faith tonight let's do it come on Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.